that I'd like to make. It is Mom's Night. Everybody say Mom's. We love our moms. We appreciate our moms. Moms need a night. And so they need lots of nights. And so um, there's, there's, a, there's an event here at the church, right here at Monterey Oaks uh, in Austin, for moms. And uh, it is at 7 o'clock on Friday night. And uh, it's going to be a great time for moms to get together, to share, to create community. Uh, moms of all ages are welcome. It's not just for young moms, not just for those moms that need a break, but... Uh, <laughs> for moms to share together uh, what God's doing in their lives. So check that out. Friday night, 7 p.m. Childcare is available. I'm mouthing each phrase as I hear it from my wife. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Are you ready to study the scriptures? Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. If you need message notes, you can receive those. From the ushers, they're right in the aisle now, uh, handing them out if you need pens or, or message notes. I think it's good. I think it's just a good practice to write th things down and we give you those message notes because I believe that God will speak to you personally about things going on in your life, not just having to do with what I say. And, uh, and so it's a good practice to have. Let's pray and then let's go for it. Father, thank you for the word of God and thank you for its entrance into our lives because it gives light everywhere it goes. And we allow you to shine that light all through our hearts, all through our minds and change us and transform us as a result. In Jesus name, amen. You know, we've been doing this series called Life in the Balance, and it's been a really great series so far. First few weeks were pretty dramatic, pretty intense, um, talking about the justice and the mercy of God and how he is perfectly just and perfectly merciful, and how does that work, and how do we understand how we're supposed to represent him and un understand how to live that out, and, and what is he doing in our lives as a result of that, and then the, the second week we... We talked about not judging others and, and, and how important it is for us to recognize God as the judge and for us not to get into that practice and that habit and what that means. You want to listen to any of those messages, you can go to onechapel.com. And, um, and last week in Romans 3, we, we talked about really the, the essence of the gospel, the technical definition of the good news of Jesus Christ. And uh, so this week, we're going to look at Romans chapter 4, and as we launch into the first part of this chapter, the Apostle Paul is, is, is trying to turn the discussion towards uh, a, a family of believers. He's trying to encourage these two groups, this blended family, if you will, of Jews and Gentiles to get along in this place where they live in Rome, this fledgling little community that is coming together. Paul is writing this letter to them, and he's trying to get them to understand that their relationship with God is um, not just based on the law in the Jewish believer's case, or how good they can be at obeying the law but rather that they come together, that they come to God on the basis of faith. And he spends quite a considerable amount of time trying to help this group of believers
believers figure out how to be a family because they've got Gentiles. They've got actually uh, uh, the social mix of Rome was quite eclectic. It, it, it would be similar to an urban setting like Austin and this, this, this family um, together trying to figure out how to live and what characteristics are supposed to be part of the family. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but you can, when you look at a family, if you're at the mall, you know, you're at the food court and a family walks in, you can kind of see that they look alike, right? It's like, oh, they, they go together. Some people say that about me and, and, and my kids. They'll see my oldest son, Zach, and they'll be like, oh, it's like you, only younger and cooler. It's, uh, it's, there's, this, there's characteristics that we find. If you're, you know, if you're at the movies or something, you can just see it. There's an identity within a family that they seem like they belong. And even if they don't look alike, they begin to act like each other because they're in the same family. And I think this is really profound. I think we see it everywhere. I was thinking about this this week and I, I started thinking about what families do when they take pictures and how awkward family pictures can be. There's an actual website that's dedicated to this idea. It's called awkwardfamilyphotos.com. <laughs> and I just started to think about how that, how people look alike and what they were thinking when they took these pictures. And so as you, I want, I want you to look at this family right here is a classic picture of like father, like son. <laughs> Right, like father, like son, like just look at that. <laughs> yep, he belongs to him. <laughs> and then uh, other families, they work really hard for their similarities. Uh, this family right here is very proud to wear the same hairstyle. They got, <laughs> they got group haircuts. <laughs> Group haircuts, very proud of their style. Other families are in the same life, right? They're in the same phase of life, right? And these kids are proud to wear their headgear. <laughs> now, I don't get this. Like, I, I don't know. Like, what the heck? <laughs> they got headgear on. What, what, what was the parent thinking? It was the parent like, oh, no, you know, you guys could take those off for your pictures. No, we want to wear them. Maybe not. Then there's this couple right here who's very proud of everything, evidently. <laughs> we call this the Adam and Eve shot. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> the, <laughs> I mean, what? I mean, and think about it. Think about it. Like, how embarrassed was the photographer? <laughs> What was going on with him? <laughs> so, but the, every photo, not every photo is happy, right? Um, have you ever taken a photo where everyone just seems miserable, right? Like, like this photo right here looks like everybody's just, it's painfully obvious. <laughs> I think we might subtitle this two weeks from Splitsville. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, that's too, wait, too close, right? Too sad, sorry. Then there's this, the nostalgic family, right? The family 
right here is the poster that the, the, the poster children for the 80s. They love the 80s. Everything 80s. Check it out. Cabbage Patch Dolls. Alf. Do you remember Alf? <laughs> Some of you are like, what's an Alf? It's actually an acronym for Alien Life Form. <laughs> Look at the, check out the mullet on that girl. That's a good one right there. And then, and then the, the floating mom, right? It's very 80s. It's very 80s. Now, not all families, not, not all photos are the family's fault, right? Like, this photographer seems to snap the picture at just the wrong moment for everyone. <laughs> it's like, the, the, photo, the photographer who do, never waits for everyone to be ready, right? They're just not ready. Um, finally, there's this photo. You see it, and it looks nice outside, it's on the beach, you, you, you're busy, you, you, you reproduce, you send it out as your Christmas card. What is hanging off of Christopher's face? Wait for it, wait for it. Christopher's the one on the end. Do you see what's coming out of his nose right there? The Christmas card you wish you could get back. Yeah. Family, some of you are still looking for it. Like, do I need to go point it out? Here it is, people. Whoa, whoa. When I first saw it on the, on the, when I was looking it up last night, I was like, oh, there's a whale in the back. Or there's like, I'm, I'm like looking for it. I couldn't find it anywhere. And then I saw it. The booger. Families have all kinds of characteristics. Families get together and there's a thing that comes off of them, a vibe, if you will. Each of those pictures, there was like, oh, I get it, I get it, I get it. The Apostle Paul in this chapter is trying to convince this hodgepodge of believers, Jewish people that came from being God's chosen people, and they aren't quite getting that God chose them when he gave Abraham the promise in Genesis 12, all the children of Abraham, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. And so he's trying to get these Jewish believers to realize that they come to God, not on the basis of their obedience of the law, not on the basis of how good they can live, but on the basis of faith. He's saying the same thing to the Gentiles that, that are among them, that these Gentile believers have equal status in the family. That they are part of this family and there are characteristics. And I want to I wanna look in chapter 4 uh, at these characteristics that, that God has given to us. And the Apostle Paul is trying to explain it to this group of believers here. And I think you can sum up, you know, the, if you, if you want to use one word to kind of encapsulate what we want to say our family of believers actually embrace, it's the word faith. 
Hebrews 11.6. It's not in your notes, but I just think it's, it's good to highlight it. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those who come to him must believe that he is or that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently, earnestly seek him. In order to earnestly seek him, you've got to believe that he hears you. In order to seek him, you have to believe that he is who he says he is. There's a, there's a faith component to everything that we do as Christians, as people who follow Jesus, as people who are in God's family from all walks of life, from every demographic group, from every social setting, from every economic strata, we belong together because we believe certain things. God had in his heart and mind a, a people that he would choose. If you look at that promise, that what's called the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12, you will see that Abraham is told by God, I'm going to bless you and you will be a blessing to all nations. And this is the kind of family that we are, a kind of family that has gifts that God's given us, characteristics. And I, there's two of them here that I want you to see in these in this verse, and we pick it up in chapter 4 at verse 17. Verse 17, it says, As it is written, I've made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Paul is emphasizing an idea here as he talks about Abraham. And, and the question is, what kind of family is this? The kind of family it is, is a family of miracles. It's a family of miracles, a family who believes in the creative force of God's goodness in the world. A family who believes that God has the power to give vibrant resurrection to the dead. Resurrection life is a reality both here and now and in hope for our future. Those of you who have lost loved ones, who have who have grieved through tragic loss of people. There is something that comes into your soul as a believer. You have hope in the midst of that grief because of resurrection life, because you, you believe there is something that's coming. But Paul, the apostle, explains the miraculous power to make the dead live and create something out of nothing. And so I want you to see that the two types of miracles in this family of faith is number one, God gives life to the dead. He gives life to dead things in your life. He gives, he gives vibrancy where there was none. He gives the energy of life where there was something that died in your heart or your soul. He specializes in bringing life out of death. He is a life giver. God gives life to the dead. He's a life giver. And when we see this, I think you gotta, you got to see it for what God himself did in the story of the scriptures. Jesus is this central figure, the miracle of the resurrection and resurrection life coming into being in our time and in, in, our, in our culture, in our, in our humanity, right in the middle of the story of God himself. The miracles of Jesus bringing the dead back to life. 
The characteristics of God's covenant family are embracing a life-giving message, a life-giving character that God has. He does it physically by restoring health to our bodies. That we believe in there is healing that is available to us. There is health. There is restoration of life. We believe in emotional restoration of relationships, marriages restored. We believe that relationships can be healed and and emotions can be healed. We believe that there is spiritual life that comes to bear on our existence here as a family. God brings new life into our lives. He breathes new life into our church. He breathes new life into our families. It's called revival. Sometimes sometimes things, memories, dreams, they become painful because we lose them or, or we feel like they've died. God wants to bring those things back to life. Second type of miracle is God creates something out of nothing. That's what he says in this verse. Verse 17, he says, he calls things that are not as though they were. God is the creator. The creator. He creates something out of nothing. He calls into being that which does not exist is what the new American Standard Version of the Bible says. Genesis 1, there's this phrase that comes up over and over again at the beginning of the scriptures and it's God said, just keep saying it over and over, and God said, and every time God spoke, something incredible was created. He spoke, and the planets flung into the galaxies. The God who spoke the planets into existence wants to speak to you and to me. That's what we believe. That's what we have faith for. And Paul's connecting the dots between faith and miracles that are in Abraham's life in chapter 4. Abraham has all these, all these miracles that he experienced. Now, it didn't start out very good. If you read the first few stories of Abraham in Genesis 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16, he was kind of a liar and a manipulator, and he was always fearful and worried and scared about everything. You read the stories. He, he wasn't a perfect guy. He was a flawed man just like you and me, but Paul's, every Jewish person knows this, that Paul's talking to as he's writing to them, and so he's trying to say, look, Abraham was just like you, just like us, and only by faith did he, did he embrace the promise that God gave him, the promise of descendants. God gave Abraham two promises, right? They, <laughs> two promises, dirt and descendants. Dirt was the land, the promised land. He said, I'm going to take you to a place that I'm going to tell you about. So his people, dirt and descendants. And so, so Abraham receives this promise, but, he, but Paul says he receives it by faith. And did you know? You may know this. You may not know. From the time God spoke to Abraham and said, you're going to have descendants, it took 25 years before that would come to pass. And when it came to pass, it was miraculous because Abraham was too old to have kids and Sarah, his wife, was too old to have kids and they'd already, they'd already decided on a different plan from God's plan by Abraham hooking up with Hagar. <laughs> Awkward story. That produced another, that produced a different offspring, but God had a promise and he fulfilled that promise to Abraham and Sarah. It's a, it was a miracle. Now, when I say that this is a family of faith, I'm not saying there aren't room for doubters and skeptics. 
When I say that this is a family where our care, the family characteristics and, and the family identity is built around belief and faith, I'm not saying you can't be a seeker and belong to this family. Indeed, there is no way for faith to exist unless there are questions. Faith doesn't exist in a vacuum. It exists in the real world. And the real world that we live in has uncertainty. God knows this. The broken world we live in has tragedy, trial, disappointment, failure. I'm not, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying we can't understand each other. In fact, it is the confessing of our doubts. It is the questioning that we, that we articulate that begins to lead us to the place of holding on to the promise. You can belong to this family while you're figuring out how to be a person of faith. I want that to be clear. But there are four characteristics that the Apostle Paul begins to outline here, and I want to highlight them for you before we go. How do you live out your faith in this miracle family? Here it is. The first thing that you do is you place your faith in God. Number one, I place my faith in God. Look at Romans 4, 17 again. He says, as it is written... I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. I want you to underline the words in whom. In whom. Paul is talking about a specific person when he speaks of God. He's, he's clarifying he's the God who gives life to the dead and calls things as not as though they were. He's giving him characteristics. See, Abraham didn't believe in a principle. He believed in a person. He didn't believe in himself. He believed in God. The first principle for the idea of, of, of living in a family that believes and has faith at their core and believes that miracles can and will happen is in whom? Abraham put his trust in God, not himself. When we put our faith in God, we, we put our faith in a, not in an outcome, but in a person. Because we can't always see the outcome. We can't always understand the outcome. We can't always predict the outcome. See, here's what I want you to understand, family. Faith is not positive mental attitudes. It's not psycho-cybernetics. Thank you, Tom Cruise. It is not psyching yourself up with wishful thinking. Remember the story of the little, as a child, the story of the little train, right? The little engine that was going up a hill. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. I thought I could. I thought I could. I thought I could. This is the idea that if you can think it, then you can achieve it. I... I think there's so much truth in the idea of being positive, right? Don't misunderstand me. I don't want you to think that I'm putting down positive attitudes. I think we should all be a little bit more positive. The world teaches us to be cynical. I think we need, instead of negativity, we need positive mental attitudes. I think there's a legitimate place for, for expectation, belief, and positivism, uh, a much greater alternative than negativism. But faith is different than having a positive mental attitude. Faith is putting your trust in a person, not in yourself. Verse 17, it says that Abraham put his trust in God. That's why he believed that God could do a miracle. 
And it's not as if he didn't waver. It's not as if he didn't wrestle through it. But he put his faith in God. Faith beyond himself. Hebrews 6.13 describes it. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. Check that out. He swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Crazy. Check this out. People swear by someone greater than themselves. But God doesn't have anybody greater to swear by. <laughs> do, you know, do you see what I'm saying? It's like people say, I swear to God. Uh, you, there's no, God can't say, I swear. He just says, I swear to myself. <laughs> he doesn't really say that. Because there's no one else, there's no one else to promise by. God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose so clear to the heirs, to the children, the family, of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. And the oath, God said, I want you to know I'm promising you, Abraham, that you're going to have descendants, and I'm basing it on my character. God's character is the foundation of all his promises. God's family, we reflect his character. We belong to him in this worldwide family. Look at verse 18. It says, God did so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. See, God cannot lie. It's a cute little bumper sticker or a little plaque. You might have seen it. God said it. I believe it. And that settles it. Yeah, actually, it's, it's just slightly incorrect. It's, it's essentially God said it and that settles it. <laughs> Like this is the God we serve. When you think about a promise, think about this. A promise is only as good as the person who gives it. If a, if a father tells his son, we're going fishing this Saturday, what does the kid have to hold on to as he's hoping for Saturday? He only has the character of his dad. Oh, that hurt my soul right there. I've disappointed my kids more than I should. God's character, though, is perfect. The writer of Hebrews is saying, God always makes good on his promises. God said it, then that settles it in our lives. Whether we believe it or not, God said it, it will happen. The second characteristic is, I base my hope on God's word. Look at verse 18 in Romans 4. It says, against all hope. In fact, everybody say that with me. Against all hope. This is a phrase that the Apostle Paul is using that he's contrasting with the result. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Grammarians call this an oxymoron. Taking two contradictory statements and putting them together for heightened impact. I just like that I got to say grammarians in a message. <laughs> Taking two contradictory statements, putting them to Abraham, listen, Abraham had no reason to believe, and yet Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him in verse 18. Just as it had been said. See, here's the thing you gotta get. Abraham's hope was based on a promise. But his hope wasn't based on wishful thinking. His hope wasn't based on a great idea. His hope was based on a promise. Abraham was facing a hopeless situation. He was getting older. It was a human impossibility. But Abraham didn't listen to the cynics 
saying it can't be done. Abraham chose to base his life on what God had said. And so I, I want to have more faith. Do you want to have more faith? I do. I want to grow in this faith in who God is. Because it has to do with grabbing a hold of the promises God gave us. Romans 17, uh, Romans 10, 17 says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. The Bible says faith comes through hearing God's words to us. If you want to increase your faith, surround yourself with God, God's words. There's 200 people that went to Catalyst Retreat just yesterday and Friday night, and they heard God's words over and over and over, and we got it saturated into our souls. And I can tell you, as we went through that 36-hour period, by the last two hours, people were ready to receive what God had for them. You want to do that? I want you to, that's why Catalyst exists. We want you to be on a journey where you're feeding yourself God's words. That's why we want you to be in a group that's studying the Bible, a a men's group or a a women's group or some kind of group that's that's gathering with believers and encouraging one another and and dealing with your doubts and and your concerns, making sure that faith is being planted deep in your heart. Number three, I look beyond the circumstances. Part of the characteristics of God's family is looking beyond the circumstances. Romans 4, 19 says, Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. See, here's what, here's what Abraham did, and I want you to see it. Circumstances, right here. He looked beyond his circumstances. I think so much of our trouble is just getting a myopic tunnel vision on our circumstances. This is all I can see. Oh my gosh, life is horrible. This is terrible. Oh my goodness, this is never going to turn out. Lift your eyes beyond the circumstances. Some of you are thinking, sure, that's easy for you to say. You don't know what I'm facing. I understand. I understand that life can be incredibly difficult. I understand that we live in a broken world where people are cruel and mean and vile. I understand that even in our own lives, the sinfulness and the mistakes that we made tend to hold us hostage to our yesterdays. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what I understand. God knows every part of your story. He knows every way in which you need him to come and begin to work in your circumstances. The Bible is very clear over and over again that he has ways to find solutions from heaven that you'd never thought of, that had never occurred to you. And in those moments when your heart aches and breaks and there's, there's challenges before you, God wants to enter those circumstances. And I know it doesn't seem to happen as fast as we want it to. It doesn't seem to occur with the speed or with the the, the right kind of solutions that we think in our minds should happen. But 
What Abraham did over 25 years was he held on to a promise. And even in his own mistakes, even through his own failures, he kept lifting his eyes beyond his circumstances. Now I want you to see that, notice it says, Abraham, without weakening in his face, faith, faced the facts. Everybody say, faced the facts. Let me encourage you that faith is not pretending that facts don't exist. Faith is not saying there's no problem. Oh, there's no problem. That's denial. Faith is not a fantasy world. It is not Abraham... It is not this thing that Abraham just kind of went up on his way in this la-la land where it, did, it, it didn't connect to reality. Abraham knew that he was impotent and his wife was barren and there was no way he could have a kid. But the verse says, even though Abraham faced the facts, he didn't allow the facts to weaken his faith. And a lot of people think to have faith, you've got to ignore reality or you have to ignore the problem. But listen, that's like praying it won't rain and then going outside without a raincoat and denying it's raining. It's like the, the person running around with a cold and claiming they're not sick. That's not faith, that's fantasy. Abraham faced the facts and then put his faith in God. Faith is not a fantasy, it's not ignoring, it's not pretending everything is okay. Faith is facing the facts and still not allowing it to weaken your faith. Not pretending and kidding yourself and saying it's, it's, it's not an impossible situation. See, the thing about this is, if you admit that it's an impossible situation, does that give more Glory to God when he brings it to its conclusion or less. It is the very nature of being impossible with man that God enters in and reveals himself. In spite of all the contradictory evidence, God begins to work. The phrase face the facts in the Greek comes from two words put together. It means mind and down. Mind and down. It literally means to put the mind down, suggesting discouragement. Facing the facts meant that at 99 years old, he still had no son. Abraham didn't. At 99 years old, his body was incapable of fathering a child. At 90 years old, Sarah's womb was dead, but yet God promised him a son. Look how the living Bible says it in verse 19. It says, Abraham believed God, even though such a promise couldn't come to pass because his faith was strong, he didn't worry about the fact that he was too old to become a father at the age of 100. You know what the difference is between worry and prayer? One is based on a promise of who God is, and the other is based on a fear of what might happen that's a disappointment. When you start looking at your problems, you're going to sink. <laughs> You've got to continually look to Jesus. There are people among our family of believers, not just one chapel, but among the worldwide family of believers who are positive confession people. And they basically say, name it and claim it. 
whatever, whatever you say you're going to get. So we can thank God for a Tesla Model S. <laughs> but it won't automatically get you a Model S. I think, I think when we do it this way, and, and nobody intends for it to get, get taken to its logical conclusion that seems somewhat ridiculous. But I think we can't degrade God in this way. We, wanna put, we don't want to put him in a bottle like a genie. We don't want to make him a cosmic butler to our words. It's his words that mean something to us. It's his words that have so much weight to them that have tremendous effect on our lives. Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. And so it's true. Our words have a powerful effect. I don't want to deny that. But when we match our words with God's words, when we say what he says, then there's something powerful that happens. Faith begins to rise in us and we begin to have confidence just a little bit at first. And then it begins to grow. Faith is facing the facts, but still not allowing it to weaken your faith. If you don't hear anything else today, that's what I want you to hear. Finally, I give glory to God. Romans 4.20 says, Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Abraham gave glory to God. All that time that Abraham was waiting for the promise to be fulfilled, you know what he did over and over again? He kept thanking God, praising God, glorifying God, because the highest form of faith, here it is, the highest form of faith is thanking God in advance. Hey, that's good stuff right there, people. The highest form of faith is thanking God in advance. There's tremendous power in praising God. Notice the words, he didn't waver. In the original Greek language, these words means to have two minds or two opinions. Not to be the James, the apostle in his book, he says, don't be double-minded. A double-minded person is unstable. Verse 20 in Romans 4 says, Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. See, Abraham thanked God in advance. He worshiped God for who he said he, he is and what he was going to do. Verse 21, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads and we're going to come to the Lord's table here in these moments. And I want you to think about the characteristics of being part of the family of God. I've listed some at the end of your notes there that we don't have time to visit, but the Apostle Paul is, is, is comparing, he's, he's contrasting the way that people who don't follow Jesus, the people who who don't believe in God or the people who reject God, how they think and how we think. And, and I think there is a difference. There's a difference in the way we act. There is a difference in our values. There is a difference in our convictions. There is a difference in our identity. And our identity has at its roots faith in God, 